Hi, welcome to Tube to Table, the podcast about helping tube-fed kids become happy and healthy eaters. Every week, we will dive into the basics of tube weaning to help unravel the conflicting information families get from doctors, therapists, friends, and family. I'm Jenny, a feeding therapist, mom, and food lover. And I'm Heidi. I'm also a feeding therapist, and I love sharing meals with friends and family and helping kids learn to eat. Come with us as we share practical tips and provide real-world expert advice so that parents can help their little ones start their journey from feeding tube to family table. Hello, and welcome to the Tube to Table podcast. This is episode 21, Winning the War Against Insurance. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about doing just that, how to get whatever tube weaning program you're considering for your child paid for by your insurance company. And Heidi and I... I have to laugh because, um, Heidi, I, this is not our favorite topic. <laughs> oh, no, it is not. Or my favorite part of my job either. No. So Heidi it, and I got into this job to one. help kids, right? Like not to battle yeah. insurance companies or get into the coding traps that are involved in all of this. But And it's funny because it does feel like a battle sometimes. It does feel like a war. Mm-hmm. Um because people are paying insurance premiums and, you know, making wise decisions with who their providers are going to be and working with their employers. And then when they encounter this really significant, um, life-changing, potentially, um, procedure, they they run up against a wall and actually a lot of walls, um, a lot of different little walls that end up um, stumbling them or that end up causing them to stumble and... Um, it's just frustrating it is. when we feel like if an insurance company paid to put the tube in, that the insurance company should pay for the tube to come out. Um, yes. And some of it is it's it's a lack of understanding. It's a lack of it's a square peg round hole kind of question. So we wanted to talk a little bit about um, where you go with that. Yeah. And so just a quick update, like, and we're going to get into this a little bit later, but. What we have seen in the last three years is a real evolution just through trial and error and effort, honestly, um, both on our parts and on the parts of family, families um, that we've worked with, that we have had a lot more luck getting insurance companies to pay large portions, if not all, of weans. It's not a sure thing. Mm -hmm. And it's also never a straight line or an easy process. It always involves some effort and some teamwork on the part of both the provider, us, and the family member. But the improvement has been fairly dramatic. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about what the process looks like to start you know, if you've decided that you have a team in place, that you have a therapist you want to work with who's willing to work with your medical team, which we feel is absolutely essential and the insurance company requires, they won't even consider it if you're not working with a doctor. And then, um, so what the process is to get started on getting a program that may be out of network or non-traditional in terms of what's available, paid for, what that process looks like. And then once we talk about that, we'll talk a little bit about the keys that help make the case even stronger. Mm-hmm. So Heidi, can you get us started? Where do, where do parents start? The first step is actually probably a, one of the barriers that a lot of people run up against right away, and it seems too hard. But truthfully, it just takes a little time to find out what your insurance company says. What do they cover now? Um, some insurance companies have a description of what an intensive feeding program looks like. And in that case, you have a model of where to go with 
you know, our tube weaning program or another intensive program that you might be considering that's not in their network of providers. So just looking whether it's online or the paperwork that you get and find out what do they do with intensives um, and what what is in, um, included in that. And then what do they do with feeding therapy or sometimes it falls under rehab, rehabilitation therapy. It, it falls under a couple of different places. Um, and just getting an understanding of what it is, where are they coming from? What are they looking for? What do they cover now so that we can go to the next level? And that covers the intensives and, you know, both inpatient and outpatient programs, but then also these therapies mm-hmm. and, and finding out when you do that, what the limitations are, what, right. what policies exist around that coverage. Okay. And so mm-hmm. once we have that information, which isn't always so easy to get, but it's doable, right. it's your right to get that information. So just keep asking questions. What's the next step after you have that? Then the next step is to make a case on why why the program that you're considering. So um, we need to collect some information on um, on how to make that case and where to send that information. So um, in our experience, it's the evaluation, a really detailed right. evaluation that looks at the whole child when it comes to mm-hmm. feeding, not just the, the tube itself or the mouth or, or any one area of development, but somebody, a responsive feeding therapist that can help you with an evaluation. And Jenny, I think you're right. You often tell families that the, the evaluation is an investment in getting treatment covered. Yeah. Because that is where you're going to get all of the information in order to make your case. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we used to find that a lot of families wanted to find out about coverage for treatment before they ever did the evaluation. And we were finding, for most people, in fact, almost always, I can't think of it, any cases in which the decision to cover treatment was made before they were able to yeah. conduct an evaluation. It's obvious. Um, which makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. they wouldn't it does. cover a broken leg. They wouldn't cover a cast until someone has done an X-ray to determine if there's a broken leg or not. Right. It's obvious it's, in hindsight. In the beginning, we were like, "Let's just try to fight this battle and find out how to do it." But in right. hindsight, we are making individualized, as you will be if you're working with with your team, a different team. I'm trying to make the case. We're trying to make the case not about our program. We're trying to make the case about why it should be covered for your child. And so if we don't have the if we don't have the clinical information really cohesively put together, then we can't make the correct arguments. So getting mm-hmm. a really good evaluation that looks at the whole child is important. So once we've done the evaluation, and once we know what your insurance covers, we can start bringing them together to make a case. One of the things we're finding is that in most, the majority, if not all of the insurance cases, the big question comes down to networks. And it feels sometimes like insurance is all about, um, because that's the side we're on, is all about the um, patient side. But it also is a big business that is designed to make money, they're publicly traded. <laughs> you need to, they need to make money for their shareholders. And so part of the way they do that is build networks of providers. And if you're in their network, then you get certain um, perks and privileges and um, different pricing. And if you're not in their network, then you're treated a little bit differently. Yes. And just a quick thought about that. So the, the kicker there with the in-network piece of it is that in our case at Thrive by Spectrum Pediatrics, we're working with kids, as many specialists are, from all over the United States. So we couldn't possibly be in network with the insurance company. And then also we've noticed a trend in the private therapy world where, where people are specialists in a certain area of development like feeding. 
moving away from being uh, in network insurance providers because of how difficult and quite frankly, um, not financially <laughs> doable it can be for some therapists. So, so that's just a quick aside of why mm-hmm. it's important to know that in network piece of it. So the next step we're finding is that if you're working with an insurance company that has a description of an intensive program, then the <clears throat> case that we need to make with you is number one, why is it medically necessary for your child to be off the tube? Um, and that, again, is part of the evaluation. And then the other piece of the puzzle that we help you with is why, in that case, we would meet the criteria for that intensive feeding program. Yeah. If that's if there are a couple of big carriers that do have that description in place, there are a number of carriers who don't. So in that case, what we need to make the case for is, again, why does your child medically need to be off the feeding tube? But then the second piece is pointing out that there's a gap in their network and we need to, it's called a gap exception or a network exception or an in for out. Yeah. There's a lot of different names that, that, are, um, that it falls under depending on who your carrier is. Um, but we need to make the case that there is a gap and that in our case, Thrive by Spectrum Pediatrics, it fills the gap or whatever your program is, fills that gap. Um, and in both those situations, whether we're trying to meet the criteria for an existing program or we're pointing out a gap, there is a number of points that need to be made in the package that is prepared with you and with us together. We prepare this package um, that we submit then to the insurance company to point out that final piece. Yeah. And that is a part that's got it. Well, it's always a little bit different what it matters most to an individual insurance company. This is distilled down a little bit more than it's ever been before. And we've noticed some trends and really helpful arguments. So one of the things, since you just mentioned if there's an in-network program already and you're asking for a gap exception or asking for them to consider a program that's not that, is pointing out why this program and why not that program. Those are two different arguments. This program makes sense because, (laughs) and giving the research about why the tube needs to be out, but also why this type of an approach, in our case, a responsive feeding approach, makes sense. And then why the other approach that's offered that is in network doesn't make sense. And there's lots of reasons for that often. Uh, One Mm -hmm. of them that you've heard us talk about frequently is that the majority of intensive feeding programs in the United States use methods like behavioral reinforcement that are shown to complicate a child's health and relationship with food in the long run. And so that would be spelled out not just in a statement like I just made, but in detail with insurance, with articles to back it up from medical mm-hmm. journals that are evidence-based and peer-reviewed. And then, so, okay, so then we've talked about why this program and why not that program. Why now, right? Like the mm-hmm. readiness piece you hit on. Why this program and not that program? And then cost, is that the next piece? I, we do. We, um, we're finding that as we get, no one wants to say it out loud that cost is part of the consideration. But remember, we're saying that insurance companies are publicly traded companies. They're not charities. Mm -hmm. um, And they are in a business of making money for their shareholders. And so the the fact that one program is a cost savings to them, that's why they build networks, um, also needs to be made because it we need to get to the level of someone who can make that kind of a decision. And the person who answers the phone doesn't know, doesn't have that power and probably 
doesn't really care. <laughs> That's not their job. That doesn't fall under their job description or their responsibility or their power. So we do need to make that case that, um, and, and what we found is that there's a considerable amount of evidence that the tube itself is expensive. Um, for that, Maybe not for parents if they have good coverage, although sometimes right. it is especially when you take into consideration like missed work and all of the stuff that goes around all that. But for the insurance company pointing Mm -hmm. out those costs and how expensive it can be. And that's everything, Heidi, as you were pointing out to me in a previous conversation today, everything from the tube being inserted itself, the tube itself, the syringes, the pump, the gauze, the ointments that you're using to keep it clean, treatment of granulation tissue, feeding therapy because they're not eating and you're trying to get them eating. Right. And then subspecialty visits that are often there's, associated there's with some it too. Old studies are probably 10 to 20 years old now. So I can't imagine that the, it's gotten any cheaper. But at that time, those studies were saying upwards $40,000 or more for the cost of a feeding tube. And that doesn't even include all of the subspecialty visits. Yeah, um, there's some research that talks about kids with feeding tubes needing one to two or more um, greater number of um, emergency room visits, which are not cheap. Um, well, and then the all formulas other- or whatever's going in the tube, if you're not using mm-hmm. a blenderized diet, is most many of the kids that have feeding tubes are on medically prescribed formulas that are extremely mm-hmm. costly. Um, to families and to insurance companies. So any of those costs, and most families know what they are for them, um, that they're having, that, but also the cost that the insurance company is covering. Mm-hmm. Those are really important things to kind of hash out and list um, because we're, right. otherwise you're comparing apples and, and oranges. And EOB's explanations of benefits are difficult to read. I've tried to figure them out myself, and I'll be honest, I can't always figure out what they're always referring to because of the way they break things down. But you can probably get some kind of an idea on cost of the tube currently. And some of that is even nursing care. You know, there's a lot of cost to be considered. And and if you can take, you know, we've had parents who will insert Excel charts and spreadsheets into their appeals to see, just to say, look at the cost savings that you're, that you're going to get. Yeah. Um, And then what part of it? Yeah, and then this is something that we hit on earlier, why this program, why now? Like t- determining readiness and why the program, but also linking the reason for weaning to cost. So we know that kids that are on tubes longer have a harder time weaning. So making mm-hmm. the case that if we don't do it now, it's going to get harder with some of the, we'll, we'll link to some of these articles, but um, but also that tube use has a series of um When they're needed, they're the best, but there is very well documented in the medical literature side effects that cause medical, um, medical and health conditions that are then become secondary things that the insurance has to treat. And then in a more kind of macro scale to think about for children that don't eat, that don't learn to self-regulate well in early childhood, we know that they're at an increased risk of other health complications because learning to self-regulate is how we control our risks of things like diabetes and drug abuse and all of that stuff. And so that's just more of a way to connect the cost to mm-hmm. kind of the necessity of the wean itself from a medical standpoint. They are very closely related. And I think one of the other problems that people run into that's probably in some ways the hardest to fight 
is making the case if there is an in-network program that uses methods that have been shown to be harmful to kids' relationships with food because the, the insurance company feels like they have somebody who is in-network who can do what the parents are, what the child seems to need, and they've already got someone in-network, so why go out of network? So finally making, like you said, Jenny, the case for um, why this program, we do provide evidence um, that those are harmful, but we also have gathered over time some quotes on the cost differences between those programs. Um, and I think, you know, if you're looking at a program that is less costly than some of those other ones, it's worth pointing out. Um, it's a little bit like buying an airline ticket. No mm -hmm. two people pay the same thing for the same service. Um, when you start looking at, you know, all the insurance co-payments and negotiated rates and all those other things, but over time, we've gathered what families were told the estimated cost of some of those intensive programs are, and it can be anywhere from forty to sixty thousand dollars for an eight-week program or more, or much more. Um, yeah, for or some much of the more. inpatient ones, mm -hmm. it's a lot. And so, uh, we because it, insurance pays for some of those in-network programs, parents often feel like doing a what might intuitively feel better to them in that kind of choosing a, a program like ours or other, you know, putting together a team that's more responsive and fits with your parenting style and what you know about how we become healthy, lifelong eaters. Um, if you're comparing your out-of-pocket potential costs to what you're going to have out-of-pocket for insurance, it's apples and oranges. What you need to do is look at what the insurance it is going to mm -hmm. pay in those other programs because it's usually – so much dramatically more than any program we offer or what you could put together. Our program is dirt cheap in comparison to the majority of the insurance intensives that are out there. And likewise, if you're creating a team locally with your beloved feeding therapist and medical team, then um, it would definitely be cheaper. And it isn't the way that we typically approach insurance, but truthfully, an insurance company should not be making medical decisions for your child. They're making, you know, they're payers. They're not making medical decisions. And increasingly, at least in the United States, um, the insurance companies are putting themselves in a position of making medical decisions by dictating who people go to see, um, by dictating that they, they try a specific drug first instead of another one. Um, and, you know, this is not a place or time to talk about some of that. But I think it's important for for you to consider as a person how that affects you on a personal level, that if this is an important decision to you, then it shouldn't be left to your insurance company to make. And no, an initial no doesn't mean a final no, just as a little right. encouragement for people. Almost all of the people that have gotten paid at 80, 90, 100% have gotten an initial either um, flat out denial or a verbal refute, you know, saying that it wasn't an option. So don't take no for an answer. Keep looking. The other thing I'll say is that this groundwork of establishing all of these reasons why the program should be covered or, or your team should be covered is a lot of work. Um, we happen to help families with it, but we, it's a lot of work still for everybody. But the more work you put in and the more front end work you do in creating this background argument, the more successful you are mm -hmm. at getting it covered. And then just another little tip, if you happen to have insurance through an employer, um, Heidi, I know you've reported that families using their HR department or if the insurance company has a liaison at the company that you work for, just seeing 
if there is any support there, um, that they can be helpful in at least routing it in the correct way. Yeah. Um, and like you said, Jenny, I, I think that many of our families got their biggest amount of reimbursement in the appeals process. Yes, I agree. And it, there is, you can do some research on it, but there's a three-stage appeals process. There's um, there's laws around the timeframes that the insurance company has to get back to you. Like, there's a lot of information around it once you start digging. Yes, um, there is. So I, um, I don't know. I think that's super helpful. I, I feel really optimistic sitting here today doing this recording that what we've seen in the last couple of years is super promising. I hope that next year this podcast is obsolete and the program, the process has become, um, as we're seeing the trend that, that, that to responsive feeding therapies in general are becoming covered more universally and that alternatives to tube weaning, um, that are evidence-based like our own are being supported more. And I have no doubt in my mind that it'll at least be better, um, Mm -hmm. next year, but, uh, we hope this is helpful. We'll put all of this stuff about helping make the case for your child to your insurance company in the show notes, and we'll be back next week. All right. Thanks, Jenny. Bye. Have a good one. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the tube to table podcast. Every week, we're going to share our show notes at thrivewithspectrum.com. In the show notes, you can find a summary of what we discussed and links to all the resources that we mentioned. Also, you can visit us on social media and Instagram and Facebook. We can be found at Thrive with Spectrum. And on Twitter, you can find us at Thrive with SP. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media and let us know if you have any input or any topics that you'd really like to see us address. We'll be back next week.